0: Coming up today on The Story.
1: I'd been told about this orphanage that it was in a terrible condition and maybe that we could possibly help out. And so I went there and I found these four little baby girls all lying in their own filth, all asleep. And this little baby girl opened up her eyes and looked straight up at me and I asked what her name was and they said Wendy, which is my mother's name. And so I went home that night and all night just wrestled with God and in the morning I just felt God say to me, go and take that baby as your daughter.
0: The Story. G'day I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to the story. Well last time we went back in time and heard an interview Karen Hunt did in 2014 with Fred Souni from Uganda. It was recorded just before he got married to Trichelle Grady from Australia. Today we go back in time once again and hear Trichelle's side of the story. Again, this was recorded in 2014, just before getting married to Fred. Trishelle will also share with Karen Hunt about how she came to be the founder of a ministry in Uganda called 100% Hope and how she came to adopt their daughter, who's appropriately named Hope.
2: You're not Ugandan as such, although I do believe a part of your soul tells you that you are. Is
1: that accurate? Yeah, I think I'm now 50% Australian and 50% Ugandan. When did you first go over to Uganda? I first went there in 2009 and then kept going back annually and then moved there permanently in 2012. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit.
2: Originally, you were born and bred in Dubbo, New South Wales? Yes, that's correct. I'm the country girl. Before we hear more about the whole Uganda focus
1: in your life right now,
2: how many years were you in Dubbo and what were your early years like at that stage?
1: Yes, I was born in Dubbo and I was there for the first 18 years of my life. I went to Dubbo Christian School and when I finished year 12, I then went over to England and I nannied there for one year before moving back to Dubbo and going to Charles Sturt University where I studied education for four years. So education, to be what kind of teacher? What kind of focus were you interested in? Uh, To be a primary teacher, but I did that with the intention to eventually do missions and help children in Africa with education. So that was always your heart from the very beginning. Yeah, right from a young girl, I knew that I wanted to go to Africa and help orphaned and underprivileged children.
2: So what sparked that? Did something come
1: across your path? Did you know of someone? How did that begin? I really don't know, actually. It's just something that I think I was born with. Just always had a heart for children, love working with children, and for some reason just always had Africa on my heart, and then specifically Uganda.
2: And when you were in England, did you come across any African friends at all at that time?
1: Yeah, actually that kind of refired my passion for Africa again. I got involved in a South African church there and made many, many African friends who I still keep in contact with to this day. So your childhood years themselves, was faith a part of your upbringing? I
2: mean, I know you said you went to a Christian school. Was that an automatic part of your family life as well?
1: Yeah, I was born into a Christian family, and I went to the Assemblies of God Church in Dubbo, which is now called Generosity Church, and very much actively involved in that church right from a young age.
2: So what did you enjoy? What did you love doing?
1: Uh, My interest as a child, I loved sports. Um, I liked music, so I was learning the piano. I liked singing at church. Um, I liked reading, and yeah, I loved school. So when you finished your teacher training, where did you go to first? Where was your first post? I did my internship uh, at the Gold Coast at King's Christian College and from there got offered a job. So I moved to the Gold Coast and was there for six years before I moved to Uganda. A far cry
2: from country New South Wales? Yeah, just a little bit different. (laughs) A lot different, (laughs) but yeah, I loved it. And now that is still your home base?
1: Yeah, all of my family actually ended up following us up here. My brother was here before me, so now this has become our home base, yeah, the Gold Coast. So he's a teacher also? Yeah, my brother's also a teacher at King's Christian College too, so teaching runs in the family. <laughs> Trishel, so here you are, you're teaching primary school, year seven for most of those years? Yeah, I was teaching grade seven for five of the six years that I was at King's, and then I switched to doing halftime grade three, and then the athletics director. Ah, and it was during
2: that time that uh, you had some missions-related friends within the church there, King's Church. Tell us the journey of how you were first introduced to this
1: whole possibility of, yeah, heading off on your own mission trip to Uganda. Well, in 2009, uh, I went to my first world championships for dragon boating and I decided to whack on a missions trip onto the end of that, as you do, and th- the school was so generous in giving me some time off and so that was my first time in Uganda. I did three weeks then and my very first day in Uganda, I was actually held up at gunpoint for seven hours in a car, so that was my welcome, uh, but just fell in love with the place and fell in love with the people and kept going back annually since that time. So it was drag- Dragon
2: boating, your first initial introduction.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. It's what launched me over to Uganda because I was already over in that same type of area. And when you were there at that time,
2: although you were competing in dragon boat racing, was your mind racing with
1: possibilities and ideas and starting to dream bigger than you ever thought you could? Uh, at the time, I really was just focused on the event. So that was in Prague. And for me, I, whatever I'm doing at one time, I give it 100% and then focus on the next things. So, yeah, at that stage I wasn't thinking so much about Uganda but on trying to win the race <laughs>
2: okay hold on so you just mentioned Prague there so you're actually in Czechoslovakia yeah. before heading to <laughs> Africa you kind of that bit out before
1: <laughs> uh, so for me it was of on the, the same side of the world so it didn't actually cost too much more to add on a trip <laughs> into Africa so the dragon boat racing was not in Uganda itself no <laughs> they actually most of them can't swim in Uganda so yeah <laughs> could be <we> qualified that <laughs> Tell us further what
2: happened next in your journey to becoming the founding director now in Nityana of 100% Hope.
1: Well, basically after visiting Uganda that first time in 2009, I came back and just had such a passion for the people. And I took a team back the year after uh, in 2010. And we went for five weeks that time. We helped train teachers and do a variety of other things. And upon coming back from that trip, I decided to be more effective, that we needed to register in Australia as a charity so that we could offer people tax deductions and things like that. And so that's what we did. And God had given me a dream, actually, 2006 when I was in South Africa about this city of hope and that's where the name comes from with hope. In this dream I was walking and it was dark and there was this pinprick of light and as I was walking towards the light I just began to see all these dead bodies lying on the ground And as I kept walking towards the light, it got brighter and brighter, and eventually I came to this big fence that said City of Hope across the top. And when I walked in, there was just laughter, there were children, there was a church, there was a school, there was a medical centre, there were homes for children, there were playgrounds. And basically, from that dream, that's what we're doing today. So in 2011, I took Term 4 off school and went back to Uganda for four months. And at the end of that time, when I was in the airport, coming back to Australia I was a mess I was crying and I didn't want to come back to Australia but God said to me you need to go back and fulfill the commitments that you've made so I came back here and I basically just said to God God whenever you want me to go to Uganda I'm ready it was in March of 2012 when I went to hear the machine gun preacher talk and as I was coming home from that God said to me pull over on the side of the road and so I did and God just said to me now is the time to go Finish up this year, fulfill every promise that you've made, and book a one-way ticket. And my question to God was, well, how long am I going for? And God's just like, I'm not telling you that. My plans are my plans. Your plans might be different, but taking you on a faith journey. So that's what I did. I booked a one-way ticket, packed my whole life into a suitcase, quit my good job, and moved to Uganda at the end of 2012. What a brave
2: move. Now, I also have met Sam. And when I think of the machine gun preacher and all that he's been involved with in Africa, I think maybe I'm a little bit different to you. I think I'd run the other way, to be honest. (laughs) But you obviously were very impacted by that night.
1: Well, I'd heard about him before. That wasn't really the catalyst so much for it, but definitely he has a very inspiring story. So
2: when you were told by God to pull over on the side of the
1: road, (laughs) was that God arresting you as such? Well, I was ready to go whenever God said, but I really wanted to make sure that it was God's timing and not my own timing. I didn't want to run ahead of God. So here's your suitcase a one-way ticket, what did your family think of this? Um, To be perfectly honest, my family were really supportive, but obviously, as a (laughs) mum, you know, my mum didn't want me to go forever, and when I was going on a one-way ticket, not knowing how long I was going for, that was a bit difficult for my family to handle, but they've been so great in supporting me and encouraging me in everything that I've been doing, and my mum's just said to me one day that, God reminded her that she was like Hannah and I was like Samuel and that she had dedicated me to God as a child. And so when God asked for me to go to Uganda, then who was she to deny God that?
0: You're listening to the story. Today, we're hearing an interview that Karen Hunt did with Trishelle Grady back in 2014, just before she got married to Fred Sayuni from Uganda. Trishelle just shared how she was called to Uganda to do ministry work. Next, we'll learn about the ministry she founded there called 100% Hope and how she came to adopt their daughter, who's appropriately named Hope. That and more when we return. The Story We're continuing with an interview Karen Hunt did with her friend Trishel Grady back in 2014, just before she got married to Fred Sayuni from Uganda. Before the break, we heard how Trishel was called to do ministry work in Uganda. Now we'll hear how she met Fred and how she came to adopt a special baby named Hope.
2: You're newly engaged to Fred. We did share his version of your story since then, you've adopted this beautiful little baby girl. Her name too is Hope. How old is Hope now? Hope is twenty months now. So your mum has a little Mitt Yarnen a little gorgeous black African granddaughter and her daughter's almost
1: married. (laughs) Yeah, so I left a single woman and now I've come back as a mother and soon to be wife. (laughs) So give us your version,
2: how you met Fred and the people that you really became a part
1: of family. Sure, well, I first met Fred actually in 2009 when I first went there and we were just friends. There was no romantic interest at all. But then last year we started 100% Hope in Uganda together with two other people and in June, June 15th actually Fred got up the courage to ask me if we would pray together for three months uh, and see if God wanted us to start a relationship and so in that culture you're not meant to really tell anyone when you are doing the whole courting process as such and they don't do dating um, so I said to him that I would agree as long as we could tell our parents and my pastor so that we could have them praying with us as well and so we st- we did that for three months and then at the end of it we all felt peace and we even had a few prophetic words actually from people that didn't even know him and the rest is history (laughs) So when you talk about the other two people that you established 100% Hope with are they Australian, are they Ugandan? No, so I'm the only Australian that's involved in the organisation in Uganda. We have an Australian committee here who are all volunteers. And our heart really is to empower local people. So even where 100% comes from is that we make sure that 100% of the money goes across to Uganda. And so only local people actually get paid out of our organisation. And we want to make sure that 100% care is given to the children. We want to take care of their spiritual, their housing, their academic, their nutrition, every facet of their life, we want to make sure that we are providing that full care Trishel,
2: for those of us who can't tangibly see what 100% Hope looks like, we can't see the pictures right now, we're not there ourselves, paint the picture what does it look like and what is it that you and your team really are doing
1: Thanks Karen, well basically at the moment in Uganda we've just purchased 11 and a half acres of land and we've started Hope Village and so on Hope Village we have planted a church last August which Glow Church on the Gold Coast helped us to build we have a piggery project which the Australian government invested into for us to help become a bit more self-sustainable we have a hundred children that we're caring for and we're sending them to school we have child sponsorship to enable them to do that so we have many people partnering with us we also have just started building a nursery and we're hoping to open that up to the community Uh, in February 2015 we really believe that education is key in breaking the poverty cycle. So for
2: you as a teacher, are there other teachers as well
1: within your team?
2: Actually, three
1: out of four of our local directors in Uganda are all teachers. That helps. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and you mentioned the piggery. What does that look like? Well, we have 24 sows and four boars. I've become a piggery expert, even though previously I knew nothing. Even though I was a Dubbo girl, I probably should. <laughs> uh, and basically, we breed them, and the female piglets we sell off after they've been weaned, and the male piglets we castrate, and then we rear them as finishers to sell them for their meat. So it's just giving us some more money that we're able to use and every tenth piglet we also give away to the community so that we're helping families in poverty to be able to do something for themselves and to be able to support their family rather than always you know getting handouts from people. So the hundred children that you have do they help with the work in the piggery too? No, they're so busy at school. The school hours there are crazy. They go to school from seven in the morning and the older kids don't get home until 10 o'clock at night. So serious? Yes very different to the Australian schooling system.
2: Do you have a capped limit of 100 children? I'm sure there are many others in the area who
1: would love to come and be a part of what you're doing. That's a very good question. We've actually reached our limit at the moment because we're renting two homes for the children that we've got in our care until we're able to raise funds to build permanent children's homes. And so at the moment we have stopped there unless we get an emergency situation because we work a lot with the government and with the police so that when they get serious cases as they will place them in our homes. So are most of these children orphans? Actually, a mixture. The majority of them we call vulnerable. And what I've found in Uganda is that orphan doesn't necessarily mean that they're vulnerable. You can find orphan children whose extended family are still quite well off and they're able to take care of them. Whereas you can find a child who has both parents but literally has nothing and doesn't have access to education or health care. So we say that we look after orphaned and vulnerable because we want to make sure that we're helping those in most need. Okay, so about the funding. You said you've just purchased, what, 11 acres of land. How did that come to be? We do lots of different fundraising events and our committee here in Australia are just amazing at helping us with that. Uh, We have child sponsorship which helps us to care for the children. We wouldn't be able to look after the children without that and we just get different donors that sometimes come across our website. A lot of it's word of mouth, or we have volunteers that come over and help out who sometimes will raise funds to bring over as well. Yeah, every month can be a bit of a challenge with the budget. So, <laughs> Only 13% of young children have access to pre-primary education, which is a terrible statistic. We're big believers in education, and without that solid foundation, the children are being set up to fail.
2: OK, so let's mention the website now, and then we can come back and uh, remind people of it again at the end. But right now, www100 hyphen hope, H-O-P-E org. Is that the best place to go to to find out about these options?
1: Yeah, the website is one place and we also have a group and a page on Facebook, so if you search for 100% Hope, you'll also find us there. And
2: percent is the little percentage symbol or the word? The percentage symbol. <laughs> it can be tricky. Yeah. Concluding the conversation now with Trishelle Grady. Trishelle is a beautiful Aussie girl, a woman I should say, sorry huh? and she's the founding director of hope in Mityana, Uganda. Now we've been unpacking some of your story how you first grew up in Dubbo uh, as a teacher, you went on a dragon boat racing competition in Europe, ended up in Uganda, hooked in with missions and here you are now establishing this whole children's organisation and centre in Mityana. But your little baby daughter, Hope, you already have a gorgeous little African baby in your arms that you've brought back here. Tell us the story of how you came to find hope in your world.
1: Well, hope is definitely one of my joys of life. I first met her when she was eight weeks old in an orphanage over in Mitiana, And I'd been told about this orphanage that it was in a terrible condition and maybe that we could possibly help out. And so I went there and I found these four little baby girls all lying in their own filth, all asleep. And the local care worker just sitting there doing nothing to care for them. And this little baby girl opened up her eyes and looked straight up at me. And I asked what her name was. And they said Wendy, which is my mother's name. So I was just, oh, maybe I, you know, I should take this baby. But then I went, Trishel, you can't just take a baby. <laughs> and so I went home that night and all night just wrestled with God. And in the morning, I just felt God say to me, go and take that baby as your daughter not even go on foster. It was just, take her as your daughter. So I called the director straight away. She said, come on over. And I told her what God had said to me. She said, in two weeks, you'll have your daughter. During that two weeks, I actually took Hope to get her immunizations at the main hospital. And they had a card there for her already. And it said Hope Wendy Mercy was her name. And I'd always said that I would call my first daughter Hope. <laughs> so Hope Wendy was actually a name that I would choose for myself. And I took off Mercy and I wanted to give her a Ugandan name for her heritage, and I chose the name Chisachi, which means grace of God. Now, the reason why I chose that name, Hope's story, is that she was born to a lunatic mother. So her mother can't speak. She lives on the street. She's homeless, and they don't have facilities in Uganda for people like that. So Hope's mother was raped. They don't know who the father is. Apparently, she's been raped multiple times. And when she gave birth to Hope, she gave birth to her out on the street. She didn't even know how to cut the umbilical cord and an old lady from a shop nearby helped her to do that. And then Hope's biological mother was walking around the street in the rain with a brand-newborn baby. And her way of caring for her was to cover her with dirt and leaves on the street where she lived. Now, the government didn't immediately intervene into the situation But the very next day, the motorbike drivers there gathered together and because witchcraft is so prevalent in that society, they stole the baby from the mother and they gathered in the marketplace and they wanted to sacrifice hope because child sacrifice still occurs there and they believed that that would remove the demons from the mother. And so as they were getting ready to kill hope, uh, the government finally came in and they were actually beaten up trying to get the baby out but they got her out and placed her at that other baby's home. So Chisachi when I called her that grace of God she's really a miracle child and she's alive by the grace of God and she's the most beautiful child. She's excelling in all areas. Some people say that she's blessed because I've given her hope but honestly I think it's the other way. She's the one who's given me hope. <laughs> and you've had her now since what age? I've had her since she was 10 weeks. I got her on Good Friday last year. Wow, what a good day. Day that was. Yeah definitely. <laughs> How is she coping right now with coming to Australia? She's 20 months and she's an absolute heaven. She didn't know what cake was before coming to Australia so now it's cake, cake <laughs> and yeah she's actually just transitioned so well. A new sweetness. Yes, definitely. (laughs) What
2: kind of responses do you find just being out and about in public, walking around with, you know, black as black Fred, black as black Hope, and here's you white as white?
1: How do you find people's reactions? I think Fred's actually experiencing what I experience in Uganda, being the white woman surrounded by black people um, but it's actually been a really lovely response. People will stop us in the street or even in the toilets for that matter and want to know about Hope and her hair. They love her hair with the beads in it. Um, people just have been lovely and wanting to know her story and finding out what we're doing in Uganda. It's been very encouraging the response that we've had from that. Yeah. So when you go back there, what's
2: Fred's actual role with the 100% Hope or Organization.
1: Fred's one of the four directors and he's he was working as the project manager but has actually just recently stopped doing that and is more focusing on his other farming activities. He has cows and pigs and grows crops so that he can help to provide for our family because we live by faith. He also just serves in a voluntary capacity because for us we never want to take money from 100% hope. We want it all to be benefiting the community.
2: So 100% of any donations, any sponsorship support, any revenue that comes in goes toward servicing your kids' organisation. Again, what's the website if people want to find out more? It's www.100-hope.org. You're doing amazing work, and I know God's absolutely blessing your, your mission and your goals. Your biggest hope yourself right now, what would that be? What's your hope for the future personally?
1: to finish all of Hope Village and to see the vision that God gave me fully completed. Well may that
2: come to pass and God bless you as you continue with that work. Bless you and Fred and baby Hope and all your family and friends. I hope that your wedding is just a beautiful success. I have no doubt about that and thank you so much for your time this morning Trichelle.
1: Thank you Karen, it's been a pleasure.
0: That was a 2014 interview that Karen Hunt did with her friend Trishel Grady, who was now Trishel Sayuni, having got married to Fred from Uganda shortly after it was recorded. And I'm happy to report that they're going strong in ministry along with their adopted daughter, Hope. Also, in October of 2015, Trishel gave birth to their child, Destiny. So now Fred and Trishel are the proud parents of Hope and destiny, what beautiful names An appropriate verse for today in light of how their ministry 100% hope Has been growing over the last few years is Jeremiah 29 verse 11 For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord Plans to prosper you and not to harm you Plans to give you hope and a future For more information about their ministry in Uganda The website is 100-hope.org That's 100 hope. Well, thanks for joining us for Trishel's Inspiring Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Yes, born and bred Salvation Army, and with the music, of course, Salvation Army is synonymous for brass bands. And I didn't really have the lips or, I don't know, I just didn't really want to play a brass instrument, so I got into percussion. So at school I was quite into the percussion and the drums. So, uh, yeah. Steve McKenna has been involved in Christian radio for many years and he enjoys audio production and singing as well. In a somewhat unusual interview that was recorded while he and Karen Hunt were stuck in traffic, Steve will share his story and some of his music next time. The Story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.